You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today I am sitting down with Sally Norton. She holds a nutrition degree from Cornell University and a master's degree in public health. Her path to becoming a leading expert on dietary oxalate includes a prior career working at major medical schools in medical education and public health research. Her personal healing experience inspired years of research that led to her forthcoming book, Toxic Superfoods, which releases December 27th everywhere books are sold. As a leading expert on oxalates and food, Sally's work has been featured by podcasters, radio shows, and several online and print journals. So Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. I This is a topic that not many people dive into, um, but it is, I think it's becoming a little bit more increasingly known, which is this topic of oxalates. So what are they and why could they possibly be bad for us? Well, oxalate is a name of a family of chemicals. And it's this acid. It starts with this little tiny molecule that's an acid that's very ubiquitous in nature and plants make a lot of it. And it's a chelator, which means it grabs minerals and it tends to form crystals. It is the basic backbone of kidney stones. So most people have heard of kidney stones. So 80% of kidney stones are made principally of what they call calcium oxalate. And sometimes your doctor will just call it a calcium stone and forget that the real secret ingredient to a good kidney stone is the oxalate. (laughs) And it comes in our diets, a huge amount of what gets into your urine because your, your kidneys are designed to clean this stuff out of your bloodstream and body. It's getting in there principally from your diet. And it's foods that we trust, we think are so great that tend to be really high in oxalate. And people, as we've gotten more and more into a kind of idea about what we often call superfoods, we are eating more and more of this stuff that not only causes kidney stones, but it pretty much can break down your health in any old way. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That is super interesting. So what are, where do we find the most common oxalates? What are the most common oxalate rich foods? <laughs> potatoes. Okay. Like regular white potatoes or? The baking potatoes. And those are the ones you use to make French fries, tater tots and potato chips. And then the new uh, sweet potatoes are even, you know, they're very high in oxalate and in some ways worse. And those are also now made into chips, fries and snacks. And then all the other newfangled chips beets and cassava and taro. Those are all really high in oxalate too. Oh, cassava too. Yeah. I didn't know that. Right. And so a lot of these sort of uh, paleo or gluten-free chips and stuff now are cassava. Yep. So we're switching to foods because oxalate's not on our radar. We don't have any filter to make a judgment about whether these, you know, replacement and substitute foods really are better for our health. I mean, we're doing it now because we because, you know, weed or gluten is the ultimate enemy. We're doing it because we're trying to get healthier. And if we choose something, they'll just make you sicker in a different kind of way. That's a big mistake. And I fear that we are making a mistake with a lot of substitute foods that are used in alternative diets that are gluten-free or low carb, like keto diets tend to love almonds and almond flour. Almonds are probably the most toxic food you could eat. And from an oxalate Mm. standpoint, they're a complete disaster. 
Uh, and unfortunately, if you start loading up with keto foods or you start using almond milk because of your dairy intolerance and stomach issues, the it, almonds are much more destructive to your gut and your, your digestion than dairy ever could be. That is interesting. Cause I'm thinking about probably I, I consume a lot of oxalates thinking that they're health foods. And I'm sure many people are listening and going, you know, thinking the same thing. So how does this show up in our health? What, what are the negative health impacts? Yeah, it's interesting because like a lot of diseases, I mean, what do you end up creating over time when we eat too many of these foods? And it's not just almonds and potatoes and the chips. It's also spinach, chard, uh, many of the beans, uh, buckwheat, um, anyway, chocolate, unfortunately, I hate to tell you that chocolate. So there's lots of ways to get it. And, and like any toxicity disease, you could be having mercury poisoning or some other kind of problem. And initially you may not see a lot of symptoms. And of course, some of the symptoms that oxalate will cause, if it's an acute response to the food or the overload, the too much oxalate in that meal, you're not going to see any symptoms until about four to six hours later. Mm. If you're having an acute reaction, because it takes a while to absorb the toxin and get it into the tissues and have it start messing up your nerves or your heart rate or giving you twitches or tremors, but hiccups and diarrhea and constipation and sort of dysmotility or spasms in the digestive tract, that could be a sign. Um, some kind of gut distress could be a sign of this often the oxalates you're eating the acid that gets into the bloodstream and that's the one that can make the nerves or heart unhappy but you're also eating calcium oxalate crystals built by the plants and this is like little tiny minuscule you know microscopic shreds of glass and unless you've got a really thick coat of mucus and a really fast moving digestive tract these things are quite abrasive and they're even harder than teeth and chewing on these crystals literally causes tooth wear. That's how hard they are. So if you've got any concerns about leaky gut or any kind of gut related inflammation, or if you've had bariatric surgery, intestinal surgery, you're in a state of, of really leaky gut. You're in a state of gut inflammation and that causes uh, the acid part to get in very easily. It just floats between the cells and the leakier you got more of the toxins get in and it's not just oxalate, but oxalate is really surprisingly kind of the worst of the toxins that are on our foods or in our foods. Because of course, these are not necessarily applied chemicals. These are foods or chem the oxalate and the oxalate crystals are made by the plants as part of the plant physiology and part of the plant self-defense. One reason the plants, one of many uses for these crystals, the reason the plants need to make them is because it makes it very unpleasant for an insect to bite on the material of the plants. <laughs> like natural pesticide. Exactly. <laughs> it is a natural pesticide. And interestingly enough, glyphosate has oxalate added to it. The oxalate Ooh. being a chelator, it sticks to stuff. It sticks to proteins and so on. And it helps glyphosate stick to the plants better and kill them better. So even you may even be getting more oxalate in plant foods because we're using so much glyphosate as well on, um, you know, and it's not just in our food, we're breathing it all the time. So that's just an aside, like, oh, it's just a coincidence that plants use it as a pesticide and so does Monsanto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's. And so then we've got a double effect with both of those, right? right. So if you, and that's the thing about toxins is yeah. they stack in 
kind of evil ways <laughs> and plants mm -hmm. themselves have multiple toxins. A lot of the phytonutrients that we think of are good for us are actually fairly toxic. Like tannins is a subgroup of the polyphenols that are very toxic and we have to be very careful about it. And the body tries to defend itself. And then there's, you know, the phytates and the gluten is one of the lectins and all these mm -hmm. things are pretty harsh on our system. We forget that generally plants are inedible. It's only a select number of them that we've developed as a human species through our technologies over the last, you know, thousand years or more that are in, and many of them are brand new technologies. And like, we didn't even eat peanuts until barely, not even 200 years mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so in dark chocolate, I mean, nobody ate dark chocolate, even in my lifetime, nobody liked it when I was growing up. <laughs> like, this is a new idea. The idea that you could afford almond flour and eat it every day, that's very brand new. So we forget that we're experimenting on ourselves and we're doing it without awareness of oxalates. So we blinded ourselves to oxalates unnecessarily, unfortunately, because there is many years, in fact, 200 years of science demonstrating the toxicity of oxalates, but we've gotten so faddish about phytonutrients are saving the day mm -hmm. and the path to mm -hmm. wellness is more plants, more plants, more plants, completely, you know, amnesia around the idea. Well, Actually, you need a special farm and a train and a refrigerator and a special grocery store in order to even get access to those kind of edible plants that we've invented. Hmm. Yeah, this is really causing my head to spin in a good way. I like it. <laughs> it's good. But it's like, I think about, you know, a lot of the you know, I talk a lot about brain foods, right. And brain nutrients and making sure that we have enough nutrients in our food that feed our brain. And a lot of those things are berries. I see a picture of berries behind you as, as part of the toxic superfoods. So we could talk about that, but like almonds, spinach, and sweet potatoes, like these are things that I've been told are brain nutrients. And so this is no. causing me to do a lot of interesting, interesting. rethinking. Wow. Oxalate has been accused of causing Parkinson's and dementia and all kinds of brain function problems because it's neurotoxic. And these foods all have a lot of oxalate and are neurotoxic. The brain is made of cholesterol and fat and choline. Egg yolks are fantastic brain food and sardines are magnificent mm, brain foods loaded with omega-3 fatty acids and calcium and vitamin D. Really the best brain foods really are the classic fish's brain food. Like that's an old fashioned notion. And <laughs> since we poison the oceans, we're all a little nervous about fish with the, with the mercury, rightly so. You wouldn't want to eat swordfish, which is so high in mercury, but they're, you know, sardines are amazingly nutritious, accessible, affordable, and are great brain food. And they're free. The plants make the oxalate and there's a little oxalate in ocean water and a little oxalate in the ocean. There's probably traces of oxalate in seafood, but not anything like the amounts that are in charred almonds and spinach. So I want to get back to this idea of, of leaky gut because I know enhanced intestinal permeability, this is a big, big phrase that we use a lot right now, especially in things like integrative medicine, functional medicine as a way to help people restore digestion and, and a whole host of other in, inflammation, all of that. And so a lot of times people would go on more of a plant-based diet, right? Mostly yeah. plants, maybe a little bit of meat, but now we are seeing a shift from more of a plant-based to a carnivore style of eating. Would you say that that would be less toxic to the gut to load up more on, like you said, like the eggs and the fish and the even dairy would be less toxic than, than the plant load. 
No question about it. No question about it. You know, undercooked egg yolks and meats that don't have the irritating fibers and the phytonutrients and the plant self-defense chemicals that, you know, really irritate the gut. In fact, in, in my research, I ended up looking at many of the plant made compounds that are toxic to us. And every one of them is after your gut. All of them have gut damaging effects. So there's saponins, for example, in kiwi, I mean, not kiwi, but in quinoa, mm -hmm. uh, saponin is basically soap and soap basically dissolves membranes. <laughs> Every no. cell of the membrane in your gut is just a single layer of cells. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting, amazing, complex layer. It's not like a bunch of automatons. There's immune cells, nerve cells, all sensing cells, absorptive cells. Like there's a lot going on there in this diverse, huge sort of football field sized, thin single cell layer. So if anything harms that single cell layer and causes a few cells to die, a normal healthy gut will quickly reproduce and they, they migrate in. So cells start moving together to fill the gap where the dying cells are. But when you've got oxalate around and toxins around, it paralyzes the repair process. It does that in the gut, but it's also doing it in other ways throughout the body where injuries and so on are hard to repair, recovery from surgery or whatever, because you start interfering with the cell's ability to have enough ATP energy to produce enough proteins and other things they need to reproduce themselves. So if somebody gets injured from wearing out from old age as a cell, we're talking about the cells of your body, or gets injured for some other reason, you hit your thumb with a hammer today or you know jammed your finger in something, cells died in the course of your happy day and they've got to reproduce. They've got to heal that area. And if you don't have enough energy, if the cells are struggling because they're toxic, it's much harder to repair. And then you, you know, over time you get old early and things start sagging and falling apart and you get osteopenia. And, and all of that really is a sign the body's having trouble maintaining itself. What's in the way of maintaining your body? too many toxins and not enough nutrients. And oxalate is a principal toxin that also causes nutrient deficiencies. It sucks the body dry of calcium, magnesium, and other minerals. It uses up B vitamins and it's wearing out tissues and demanding a lot of uh, extra work. You know, eating sandpaper and acid turns out to be not so great for us. And mm -hmm. sadly, we're not taught that in school. You know, I went to a great school for my nutrition program. I've been a nutrition geek since I was a kid. And I wrecked my health not knowing this. And I thought, wow, I couldn't figure this out. I better warn a few other people. And I'm looking around and helping people. And I am amazed at the train wrecks I'm meeting because they tried so hard to go gluten-free and dairy-free and eat well and get healthy. And it worked against them, not for them. And I just think yeah. that's so unfair. Yeah, <laughs> People who are bothering to try so hard to eat well are not being rewarded with excellent health. Well, and then you even mentioned something about magnesium, which magnesium is something, you know, many of us aren't getting enough of anyway, but we've been told that almonds and spinach are good sources of magnesium, but the, you would say the oxalates are blocking even that. That's right. Wow. That's right. Oxalates will make, I mean, this is another thing that's very disturbing to me about modern nutrition because the research in the 1930s demonstrated spinach doesn't supply minerals, especially calcium. 
and is not very good at supplying magnesium either because of oxalic acid and oxalate crystals that most of the calcium and minerals are tied up with oxalate. But it, we, we analyze foods in a lab, we burn them up, dry them out, burn them up and throw them out in these analyses. And there's the calcium, but no one's saying, but oh wait, 90% of that calcium is just calcium oxalate and is meaningless. In fact, it's not a nutrient, it's not nutritive at all. It's just a toxin, but mm -hmm. no one's making that distinction in nutrition still. It's 2020 and bioavailability is not a thing, even though yeah. phytic acid and oxalic acid blocks your access to minerals. And we're pretending there's nutrients in foods like spinach that are from an actual fact in reality. They may be nutrients to a chemist, but to your body, they're just a toxin. And how could we be in such an advanced state in 2020? We feel so modern. How could we be so silly to not be thinking about that when it's been in the medical literature for about 75 years or yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is, is there a way to decrease the, the load of oxalates in food by cooking them differently or processing them differently? Is there a way to decrease that or avoiding That's entirely for, for <laughs> other foods? You can kind of do that or for other toxins like phytates and stuff, you can soak them and do this or that mm -hmm. lessons. Even you, you soak your beans for three days and then you cook them in a pressure cooker and you kill the heck out of those lectins, which are giant proteins, which will eventually denature if you heat them enough but it's hard to get an oxalate crystal to the 400 degrees Celsius you need to incinerate them. So you can't really do it with heat. Now, in some cases, like with broccoli, if you boil your broccoli long enough, you leach out some of the oxalic acid into the water and throw out the water, and then you've lowered it. But broccoli isn't nearly as high as spinach. Mm. Boiling spinach, which is ridiculously high, it's you know 15 times what you can actually tolerate, uh, might reduce it by 10%, but when you've boiled or cooked spinach, you've reduced, you've densified the food. Like you've shrunk two giant bags of fluff into like a tablespoon of spinach. So the concentration effect of cooking negates any, any loss of oxalate. So, all right, you've reduced your spinach, which you couldn't have eaten raw anyway, that much down to this half cup of cooked spinach that still has six or 700 milligrams of oxalate which is five times higher than what your body can handle in an entire day, let alone in one meal. Yeah. I mean, this could be a really big game changer for somebody by, by knowing this and changing it out. Because I think all these things you're mentioning are the health foods that we're told to eat and especially your leaky gut. I mean, I know for me, I have very low secretory IgA on, on my gut test. Well, that means my, my barrier, my intestinal barrier is not there. <laughs> so if I'm putting oxalates and oxalates into my body consistently, my body has to fight against that. Right. And has to decide, ah, oh, how do we, there's no protection. How do we, I mean, I'm trying to build a picture for people to yeah. understand, like, this is a really yeah. interesting concept. So right there at the gut level, you're adding a lot of stress and inflammation. And when the gut's inflamed, it's hard for the rest of the body to be happy because the gut mm -hmm. is such a critical place of knowledge and understanding and, and, you know, control of your physiology. But then this acid that gets past the gut, it goes into the bloodstream and it's called the hepatic circulation there. And that hepatic circulation that drains all the nutrients and toxins coming from your food goes straight to the liver. 
and the liver is this open tissues of sinusoids. And so all this sort of, let's call it water from the food coming through the blood, you know, the stuff from your digestive, what we call absorption, mm -hmm. you know, what moves from the lumen or the space where the food is into your bloodstream, that's called absorption. And that absorb toxin and nutrients come to your liver. Your liver is getting hit by oxalic acid and doesn't have any way to disarm it, metabolize it, or do anything about it. All it does is use up its glutathione to protect itself. Mm. So you drain your liver of its detox ability, and then it moves fairly quickly through the liver up two inches higher to go to the heart. So now all that oxalic acid you absorb goes into the heart chamber, and then the heart pumps it to the lungs to pick up oxygen. Now all that oxalate is in your lungs, and then it pumps back to the other side of the heart. So it's gone from messing with your digestion to wearing out your liver, to stressing your heart and lungs before it's even gotten into the rest of your vascular system. And then in the capillaries, it gets squeezed out. There's fairly high pressure in the capillaries because you want to squeeze out that oxygen that you're bringing and those nutrients. And unfortunately, you're squeezing oxalic acid into your eyeballs and tissues. And eventually the kidneys pick it up and clean it out of the blood. And then you've got to concentrate this stuff in your poor kidneys and your bladder and pee it out. And we're peeing out oxalate as ions and crystals almost every time we pee all the time. And a lot of us have great kidneys to put up with it, but eventually you might get nighttime waking up with having to pee at night or having to pee really often or getting irritable bladder or getting, you know, spastic, you know, leaking a little bit in your bladder or, you know, eventually it can become kidney stones, but all kinds of pelvic and urinary system distress can be because of your unawarely eating a lot of oxalates and stressing out your urinary tract, but that's like the last tissues you're wrecking at first you mm -hmm. hit the rest mm -hmm. of the body first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that paints a really good picture of how that works. Um, I'm, this is, I'm so blown away. I love it. This is so much fun. I, I hope the listeners are enjoying this half as much as I am because I'm just like, Ooh, this is good. So I want to know, like, I could just bring you to the library. I mean, right? it's so interesting <laughs> researching this, like, Sometimes I'm like, whoa, this has been here this long hiding in the library. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would go every Sunday afternoon to study this for years. I would have to leave. I would be so like emotionally shocked, amazed, yeah, thrilled to find it, but also distressed that we don't already know it because it's all hiding at the mm -hmm. library. Mm -hmm. I know. I mean, cause I'm a nutrition ner nerd, like you are, as you mentioned, and I'm like, wait, but I mean, I've heard this here and there and I, you know, I've heard about the phytates and the lectins, blah, blah, blah. But like the way you're describing the process, I haven't heard about it broken down in this way. And I think it's really, really helpful and useful and even starting to question some of my own health issues. So this is good. I mean, this is, this yeah, is we'd great love to save you and make you fabulous and live to <laughs> right. be an independent 90 year old. Who's not wobbling around on a cane. I and know. Uh -huh. peeing on herself and wearing diapers. I mean, the picture of where we're heading, how many people are wearing depends and all this stuff once they get past 75 years old, none of that is necessary. Mm -hmm. We really need to stop and think about how we're living to set us up for the last 25 years of your life is going to be horrible. Or you're just going to suddenly drop from a stroke or heart attack. Oxalates can cause strokes and heart attacks and are probably a major hidden cause of both. Hmm. Well, and you mentioned that it, it does make me also want to know even about like female hormones. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of women, um, personally, I know a lot of women who are going into perimenopause earlier than historically has been the case. And does this have an inflammatory effect that would impact stress triggering hormonal imbalances? 
Well, glands like to pick up a lot of stuff. Glands make product, you know, so I like to think of glands as factories because they've got to build hormones or even other secretions. So they pull in a lot of material. So I like to think of them as little factories with huge shipping and receiving departments. And they sweep in a lot of stuff in the receiving department and they tend to pick up oxalates. Mm. And some of them have these special transporters designed to move oxalic acid around and bring them in and out of cells. The saliva glands are an example, but we see it in the epididymis and the testes. We definitely see stuff going on with uh, female hormones, the pancreas, any kind of gland can be start to collect oxalate. But the one that's famous for this is the thyroid gland, mm -hmm. which is one of the mothership glands up there with like the pituitary gland. It's doing a lot for all the tissues. Mm -hmm. By the time we're 50, the chances of you having oxalate crystals building up in your thyroid glands is uh, like 70% or more. And if by the time you're it, later on, it's something like 85%. Now these are small studies. So you know, there needs to be more studies, but the fact that oxalate crystals are normal in middle age, more than normal, typical is scary because that's a pathology that's not supposed to be happening. So our standard diet of being raised on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with potato chips on the weekends or whatever, and then tater tots at school and French fries or baked potatoes when you eat out, that is enough to let the entire population start accumulating oxalate in the body. See that it gets hung up in tissues. It doesn't always make it to the urine. As mm -hmm. it hits an inflamed thyroid gland or a damaged cell or this or that, it gets hung up in tissues and it starts building up over time. And we see that the older you are, the more oxalate crystals in your poor thyroid gland. Having thyroid problems is becoming really common. So common. And that, that affects our metabolism because our thyroid controls that. Yes. And oxalate affects your metabolism in many ways. You have mm. trouble keeping your blood sugar up when you're high in oxalate. So you tend to bomb out with hypoglycemia and knee carbs and you become mm. carb addicted. You also have trouble in the cells just turning the glucose into ATP energy for cell work because it's sitting on certain enzymes. It's such a tiny little molecule. It gets in there. And it gets in the way and then the enzyme can't do its thing. It can cause red blood cells to start exploding because they're becoming unable to make enough ATP and the sodium ions get stuck inside and water flows into the cells and the cells explode. And this is happening because of too much oxalate in the blood. And it turns out that some of the oxalate is hanging out inside the cells. So how, how the oxalate's getting inside the cells is still, they haven't even fully mm. understood that. It's a very tricky subject to study. And it's never been really fancy, like, oh, the war on cancer. Oh, there's a genome. We can map the genome. Oh, there's a microbiome. Let's map the microbiome. Like, <laughs> we have these fads in science where all the good brains and all the money go. You know, smart people follow the money. They get funding for their careers and research based on how you get funded. And nobody's said alone, oh, let's study oxalates. It's like no one said, hey, oxalates making everybody old and tired and need medication and doctors and cranky and complaining about their gut and their diarrhea and their constipation and their this and their that and their back aches. Let's get, no, let's not get rid of that because actually there's no way to make money telling people to not eat spinach. There's not a good, in today's world, it's really sort of um, all about, what's generating a good economy. I mean, even the food advice is at the USDA, which is about promoting farm products for the sake of the economy. And that has warped so much mm -hmm. in nutrition and elsewhere in ways that are subtle to the public, 
But if you start really looking at the whole situation and where we're landing, where everyone's eating high profit corporate foods and not eating and not doing well. Uh, and on, you know, polypharmacy has been a problem for 30 years where older people mm -hmm. are on eight to 12 drugs, eight to 12 drugs. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. that is frightening mm -hmm. and unsustainable, really. I mean, it's not a great model for building a healthy economy either. No, it's not. I mean, there it's, yeah, there's a lot going on that, um, that I question. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you. So tell me with this, I mean, so what are the swaps? How do we make changes to make sure that we're not on oxalate overload and, and do we have to wipe them all out or can we live in balance? I mean, what's the, is there a detox? I mean, like, how does that work? Yeah, there's this accumulation problem. So there is a problem with once you're filled up with oxalates, you have a chronic toxicity disorder mm -hmm. of oxalosis with oxalates hanging around. And if you go too low too quickly, you'll just re what I call auto intoxify by release mm. some of these crystals. So it turns on inflammation to go after these crystal deposits, say in your thyroid or your pancreas or your bone marrow. And now you've got just as you got additional inflammation and additional oxalate on and off, often in cyclic ways, which is idiosyncratic and how soon that process gets going is also weirdly individual. It's very different how this works in each person, but you can see this pattern and it could take you 10 years to deaccumulate oxalate from mm. your body. So we don't want to actually go too fast because if you abruptly change from eating spinach smoothies and keto bread and dark chocolate every day down to say all the way carnivore, which is essentially a zero oxalate diet, mm. that Olympic shift from massive to none could trigger um, illness. And I've had people run to the emergency room thinking they're having a heart attack because it messes up your electrolytes and your poor pacemaker oh, wow. nuts and you get arrhythmias and I've had people say they think they've got cerebral palsy all of a sudden because they've got so many tremors and they've lost control of their muscles or they feel like they're having a stroke. And this is all in the literature that this happens with oxalate poisoning. Um, facial paralysis, you know, you get a little bit of facial mm -hmm. palsy or you get hiccups or you get these spasms and so on. These are all the ways the cells of the nerves and the muscles are being interfered with. So that, that, um, it's not something you need to do. So we just like look at that. I've got a beginner's guide on my website. And of course the book has got all kinds of information for you. And my website is full of free information where you can think, okay, what are my big ones? Is it Swiss chard? You can live without Swiss chard. I promise you can. Arugula, all the cabbage family, all the lettuces are low in oxalate. So it's really easy to swap out Swiss chard and have some other kinds of greens. And potatoes, you can, if you get my cookbook, I have a little PDF cookbook with about 180 something recipes, get that from my website. And it teaches you how to make really good mashed white vegetables that are just as satisfying as mashed potatoes mm -hmm. using turnips and, and um, celery root and rutabaga. And if you just know how to do it, they actually taste good. <laughs> They're really nice. Um, but you don't want to really pile your plate high with these cabbage family vegetables because they also have chemicals in them that are hard to digest. So if you do have a lot of gut problems, I do think the carnivore diet's a smart move for gut healing. It's a good mm. elimination diet too, to help you get a sense for, and it improves your gut's ability to tell you, Hey, don't eat that. I don't like that. Mm -hmm, <laughs> your mm -hmm. body starts talking back better when it stops being paralyzed with oxalates all the time. And you, you can customize your diet. That's really going to give you that vitality 
and good night's sleep and not feeling, you know, crampy or uncomfortable all the time. So that's the good part about moving towards the animal foods, which is a good idea, but you still may need to keep some olives and a few bites of sweet potato or a little bits of oxalate around are fine, but making, getting away from using these high oxalate foods as staples or go-to foods. And really, if you can get away from the smoothie thing, that would be smart because mm. pureeing toxins, raw vegetables and pureeing <laughs> them just gives them better access to That's mess true. up your gut. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. You're also losing the chewing. Actually, you need, you know how you have to exercise to have a beautiful bicep? Mm -hmm. Well, you have to chew to have a beautiful face. The, uh, the structure of the body is maintained by the forces of gravity and the pressures on, you know, that's why you exercise for better bones. You need to exercise your face to keep your teeth from getting weak and loose or changing your jaw shape and getting kind of like sunken and old. And so keep your face nice and shaped by chewing your food. So you don't need the blender based food that's for invalids. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so good. So it's funny. My husband actually went carnivore in January of this year oh, and cool. for gut issues, for gut reasons, trying to just clear up some things. And he felt amazing. He recently just told me a few weeks ago, he's like, I think I need to go back to more. I felt better doing more carnivore. And so I wonder, it makes me think if it was, the oxalate issue. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. for me, I have to get past my texture issues with meat. I like meat, but the abundance of meat that it would require for a carnivore diet, <laughs> I think I'd have to get past that. So are there other things that are low oxalate that are plant foods that, you know, you're not just eating well, all the know, time <laughs> trying to heal your gut. That's a very specific situation and all the seeds you know, like in the, the nuts and seeds, I would normally say, well, try soaked pumpkin seeds but not really if you have a gut issue, because it's really hard, despite the soaking and all, to really deal with the lectins and all the other mystery mm -hmm. compounds that make seeds inherently indigestible. A seed is designed to survive a predator's consumption of it, right? So you're, the, the plant's idea is that you will accidentally eat the seeds and poop it out with some lovely fertilizer, some field over, some town over, and that's helping it spread its seeds but it's designed that you can't really digest it. So it's full of stuff that's preventing you from digesting it. So someone with a gut problem really should not go to the pumpkin seed answer to getting rid of the nuts from the diet and really figure out, well, if there's a textual issue, how can we work with that? Um, and there's, there's I, I would say that, the, you know, a lot of that is like, let's work with that person and really find out what all the issues are and where the open doors are that we can start mm -hmm. playing with. And it is really about um, seeing what works in the beginning and new doors will open up, whether someone has a taste issue. Like when I was eating high oxalate diet, I did not like the taste of rice. Rice did not agree with me. When I was eating mm. all this bread and stuff, I hated rice, but that was just a deformity <laughs> of my whole sensory mm. system that made that, you know, it's almost like COVID gives you a taste problem. Yeah you know, allergies and chronic inflammation of any kind can deform your senses. And unfortunately, mm. oxalate can mess with your vision, your taste, your hearing. Um, wow. Really interesting. And so rice is a low oxalate food? White rice, the bran, see, because grains are also seed, the, most of the oxalate is in the bran and the germ. And so mm. white rice, rice is lower than some of the others, but things without bran 
are lower in oxalate. So white rice is great, especially if you use an Asian organic rice that's mm -hmm. not grown in uh, soil that's high in arsenic. Mm -hmm. Unlike here, where we've used, we have such a history of pesticide or herbicide use that California and Texas rice is loaded with arsenic. But in mm -hmm. Asia, they never could afford to use our high-tech methods and their rices are lower in arsenic. So a nice organic white rice from Asia or better yet, an Asian white rice noodle, they soak that in the process. They sort of ferment the rice in the process of making noodles. So it has low phytate levels as well. Oh, but you that's can deal with the phytates with white rice by just soaking it for a day in the counter. And I like to add a little bentonite clay just to see if I can lower the arsenic even more. Mm including that in the soaking water too. So yeah, rice is low and um, let's see what else. The turnip and the, the whole cabbage family vegetables are low. The black beans are much, or black eyed peas, I mean. The pea family, green peas, black eyed peas and chickpeas are all much lower in oxalate than the beans. Oh, that's good to Switching know. From black beans, white beans, great Northern beans, navy beans, those are all bad news beans. You can switch over to the peas. And again, they have lectins. So you're going to need to soak them for a few days and then make sure you cook them at good high heat. I've got um, a bonus available for people who are pre-ordering toxic superfoods. And it has a recipe in there for a bean soup made with black eyed peas. And that can also be used as a bean dip and you can add cheese to it and use it as a party food as well. Oh, I love that. Okay. And so, and dairy is, is a yes. I know dairy this is really yes. hard for some people to, but we're talking about, you know, organic grass fed. Well, and dairy is a giant category, right? So mm -hmm. like, I can't really eat the soft moldy cheeses. I think I've developed a mold problem. So I don't mm -hmm. touch those nice, mm -hmm. soft French style cheeses, but I do great on very aged cheeses. And we get, um, raw butter from our local Amish farmer and get raw cream and milk. Now I still am really off the milk and cream because my system is so inflamed from mm. the oxalate poisoning. Um, but I still, and I have to moderate my cheese amount that I eat. So that's just an example of where if you still have a little issue with dairy, there may be a, a type of dairy food that works for you in a certain amount. Mm -hmm. So it's not a hundred percent on or off switch with a lot of these foods. There's ways to customize how you're using them and how you're pairing them or what's the form of the food that makes a huge difference. You know, getting raw A2 milk is much more likely to be tolerated by people with lactose, supposed lactose intolerance mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. And dairy and eggs are great healing foods for a lot of people, but then some other people have allergies to them. Mm -hmm. So there's not one answer for everyone, but the general answer is don't rely on these toxic foods as staples in your diet and learn about oxalates and lower them and then build the most nutritious diet you can and trust that well-raised animal foods are essentially critical to health mm -hmm. and figure out ways where you can work with them and cook them and, and not be afraid of them, not limit your portions in them, be generous with animal fats and be amazed what can recover. I, I've been just shocked people with a lifetime of eating disorders and alcoholism hmm. said, you know, what you've told me to do is cured me. I don't, I'm not desperately hungry anymore. I felt I was hungry my whole life and out of control my whole life. And now I feel like a normal human being should feel. Yeah. And you mentioned how oxalates decrease B vitamins or deplete. And it makes me wonder, because I think that a lot of times we B6 converts to serotonin, you know, we need to have that for you know, 
safety in our bodies, right? And so, I mean, that is just such an interesting puzzle piece there that um, is really important. Especially B1 and B6. Those are the two most intimate related to the body's management and um, internal production of oxalate because your metabolism Mm. naturally creates a little bit of oxalate every day as well. And as oxalate from the diet helps to burn up those to B vitamins, you're more likely to have inflammation and also more likely to have, produce more oxalates from the liver. The poor liver is getting inflamed every time you eat oxalate and not mm-hmm. only can it not cure it, but it adds more oxalate to the bloodstream as it's, so the amount that gets to the heart is actually more than you absorb because the liver's mm-hmm. also, while it's inflamed and in distress about all this oxalate is probably producing its own additional oxalate from the breakdown of amino acids mm-hmm. and the breakdown of vitamin C. When we take too much Mm. vitamin C that's over what the body can use, it degenerates into oxalate in the body. That's interesting. Wow. This is so, okay. Well, I'm, I'm just going to have to read your book then. And I think everybody else needs to as well, because this is good information and we don't have time to get into more. Um, but I do want to ask my favorite thing to ask my guests is, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could suggest one thing to spark wholeness, what would that be? get outside as much as you can, you know, get outside and figure out what your real soul's desire is in life and honor that as best you can be your own best friend and say, you know, if my heart needs this, I'm going to give myself some openings every day or this, every part of, you know, plan your life around making sure you're not neglecting your own spiritual and personal needs. And that'll open up a whole avenue for you to really take charge of your life and make you matter. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you. This has been so interesting and I want to know so much more. So where can people, where your website, your book, all of that, where can people find you? And I'll add it to the show notes as well. Thank you. My website is sallyknorton.com. It's just my name, sallyknorton.com. And I am on Instagram, have two Instagram accounts there. Uh, so there's some information there at SK Norton. That's one of them. And the other one is toxic superfoods underscore oxalate underscore book and uh, toxic superfoods is available in print. It's also electronic book and it's also an audio book. And you can order that from any retailer that sells books. So it can be online retailers. It can be your local bookshop. Be sure to call your library and make sure they're going to get it on the shelves there so that there's copies for anybody who's looking for ideas about how to help their health. Unfortunately, this conversation is missing. And I'm hoping that, you know, like you say, we can turn people's health around. I'm hoping that we're going to, through a grassroots sharing with each other, really get this message to be more widely known. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we've got new year resolutions coming up and this is a time to take a good look at, you know, in 2023, what can we do to lower our oxalate load and and see how that benefits our health. So this is, we can start our new year off really well with this information. So I appreciate it. I'm excited. I'm excited about your book. So thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.